This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, and attraction to both a woman and her mother. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 233. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. This is the show where I share my fresh new fiction with you and keep you informed on my life and my writing. So let's kick things off with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 6 in my erotic fantasy novel, Homecoming. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 228 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Kate and John have arrived at the home of Kate's parents, in the town of Bridger Heights, Alamar Province. John was quickly introduced to Sam Catane, Kate's stepfather, and Miko, the Catane's enormous dog. Sam helped John carry their bags up to the guest room, which is also Kate's old bedroom. Sam awkwardly and obliquely assured John that the house's soundproofing would ensure their privacy. Your daughter is having sex, John realized, and you have no idea how to talk about it. When they headed back downstairs, John met Kate's mother for the first time, and was immediately at a loss for words. Lisa Catane is only 22 years older than Kate, and she looks like a darker-complected version of her daughter. John is an incubus, of course, and sex comes as naturally to him as breathing— but he was still blindsided by his sudden attraction to the woman. With difficulty, John reined in the Daedric side of his nature, telling it firmly that Lisa is off-limits. Lisa, for her part, is warm and welcoming, and invites Kate and John to join them for a drink while they wait for dinner to finish cooking. Homecoming a Tale of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Laster Chapter 6 They all decamped to the living room, a warm and cozy space with an overstuffed couch, love seat, and rocker recliner, all arranged around a fireplace and a large, imitation Kellaware rug. A long wooden coffee table stood in front of the couch, topped with a spiky-looking potted plant and a few scattered books. A stack of coasters bearing Miko's magnificent wolfy image sat in a wooden holder on one end of the table. Lisa sat at the end of the couch nearest the fireplace, and Miko climbed up next to her, laying his massive head on her lap. Kate and John took the love seat. Sam poured a glass of white wine for Lisa and brought bottles of lager for everyone else, then settled in the recliner with a quiet woof of expelled breath. 
The conversation drifted seemingly at random, with Sam and Lisa taking turns catching Kate up on all that had transpired in her absence. They discussed their home renovation projects, recent books they had read or movies they had seen, and the doings of various family friends, their children, and occasionally their grandchildren. Kate had never mentioned any of these people to John, and he wondered how much these updates would actually matter to her, but she gamely stepped in and explained each one's relevance and relationships whenever these were unclear. After a while, Lisa went to check on dinner, the dog following quietly on her heels. Kate turned her attention to Sam. John and I were thinking of going to the homecoming game. Do you want to come with us? Sam's eyes lit up. Oh, yes, that would be great. Something flickered in his expression then, and his voice and manner grew more hesitant. Actually, yes, I think that would be a very good idea. There's something I'd like your professional opinion on. Kate cocked her head, frowning. What, as a cop? No, no. Well, maybe, Sam amended. But more as a wizard, really. Have I told you about my student, Chase? Kate's eyes went unfocused, and John knew she was accessing her eidetic memory, one of the secret weapons that made her such an effective police detective. Yes, she said at last, her eyes turning back towards Sam. Chase Tomley, power forward for the Badgers. He was the league MVP a couple years ago, wasn't he? Sam nodded. That's him. A hell of a player. And a fine young man. He lowered his eyes and took another drink of his beer, his expression troubled. What happened to him? John asked. I don't know, Sam said. That's what worries me. He fell silent for a moment, as if trying to decide where to begin. I've taught Chase in three different classes since freshman year. I've watched him grow up. He wasn't my best student, academically, but he was consistently in the top ten percent. He was healthy as an ox, too. Never missed a day of school that I can remember. But then, last spring... It should have been his last semester, but something happened. He got deathly sick. Could barely move. He missed school for three months, got incompletes in all his classes. He couldn't pull it together in time to graduate, so his admission to St. Marais was put on hold. Oh, gods, Kate murmured. That poor kid. That sounds like mono, John said. That's what the doctors thought, too, Sam said. But there was no fever, just this terrible fatigue. It was like his body couldn't produce enough energy or something. I've never seen anything like it. Kate leaned forward and steepled her fingers, frowning slightly. How is he now? Sam raised his hands in a helpless gesture, shook his head. Better, but... I don't know. He gets these terrible, blinding headaches now. His energy level goes up and down. He's retaking his classes from last year, and I can tell he's trying, but he can't seem to focus. His grades are in free fall. If he doesn't pull it together before finals, he's going to lose his uni scholarship. Kate nodded thoughtfully, her gaze going distant again. It might be some kind of curse she said slowly, or death mana poisoning from a backfired spell or something. Is Chase a mage? Sam shook his head. No, 
we rerun the aptitude tests on all of our monology students. Chase didn't have the gift. Something could be feeding on him, too, John suggested. Ever heard of Leonanshi? They're fairies who attach themselves to creative people, drink their blood, and take their life force. It could be something like that. Sam's face paled a little. I hadn't thought of that. But he was stuck at home for three months. Wouldn't the house's threshold protect him? Maybe, maybe not, Kate said. There are ways of getting past a threshold. That's not my area of expertise, though. Sam nodded, half to himself. I should call the Lothanasi, then. Let's not jump to conclusions, John said, quickly. The last thing he and Kate needed was an overly zealous Lightbringer agent outing him as an incubus right in her hometown. He turned to Kate. You said it could be a curse, right? From a human practitioner? It could be, yeah, Kate said. I'd have to take a look at him to be sure. Curses leave marks on a person's aura. If there's enough residue there, I might be able to use an augury to find out who cast the spell. Perfect. Let's do that. John looked back at Sam. You said this kid'll be at the homecoming game? He will, Sam confirmed. His illness might have been bad luck for him personally, but I'll tell you, a lot of Badgers fans were relieved to get their star player back for another season. Kate and John exchanged a look. In the detective business, they call that motive, John thought. All right, Dad, Kate said. We'll get to the bottom of this. Soon Lisa called them all to the dining room. They joined hands around the table, and the Catanes bowed their heads. Bless us, Lord Eli, and these thy gifts receive from thy bounty, Sam said solemnly. Nourish our bodies and make us truly thankful. In the name of thy son, Yahshua, and thy holy prophet. Amen. Amen, Kate and Lisa echoed, and they all sat down together. For the next hour, they gave no thought to curses or fairies or magical afflictions. The food was simple but excellent. Roasted chicken, potatoes, and winter vegetables, green salad, and homemade apple pie with vanilla ice cream for dessert. John praised Lisa's cooking skills effusively and sincerely, and she accepted the compliments with a brilliant smile that sent fresh waves of desire running through him. With an effort, he returned his eyes to his plate and focused back on the more immediate pleasures of food and drink. Kate volunteered herself and John to handle cleanup, so Lisa and Sam took Miko out in the backyard to play while they tended to the dishes. Oh my god, Kate said when they were alone. She swatted John playfully on the upper arm. You are the worst, hitting on my own mother right in front of me, right in front of her husband. I was not hitting on her, John protested. I just find her very attractive. The worst, Kate repeated as she turned on the kitchen sink and started rinsing off plates. I'll behave myself, I promise, John said. He went back to the dinner table, loaded his arms up with the serving trays, and carried them back to the kitchen island. Where are the containers for leftovers? That cupboard on the far left, Kate said, pointing over her shoulder. John went to the cupboard and started picking out appropriately sized containers and matching lids. 
Anyway, you should take it as a compliment, John said. You look a lot like her, you know. So they tell me, Kate sighed. This is what I get for dating an incubus, I guess. This, and the mind-shattering orgasms on a regular basis. See, now you're just being conceited. And accurate. And accurate, Kate said, grudgingly. She paused, then muttered, The worst, I swear. John grinned, and started measuring out lunch-sized portions of chicken, vegetables, and potatoes into the containers. So, this Chase kid, are you thinking what I'm thinking? I don't know, what are you thinking? That somebody wanted the Badgers to have another winning season, John said. Skyball's over by March, right? So they hit him with a curse after the season's over, hold him back from graduating. By fall, he's recovered and ready to play again. Maybe, Kate said, sounding dubious. But that's an awful big risk to take just for school pride. Then maybe there's money on the line. Somebody could be gambling on the Badger's record. Mm, no, doesn't fit, Kate said. As soon as the word got out that Chase was coming back this year, the bookies would have adjusted the odds. If you really wanted to clean up, you'd bet against the Badgers, and then knock out their star player five minutes before a big game. She paused. Assuming you were an evil son of a bitch who didn't mind hurting people with magic. Ugh. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a given for any scenario here. John frowned, trying to envision the alternatives. Maybe it's not about the team. Maybe it's about the university. Your dad said that Chase's admission was put on hold, which means somebody else got his spot for this year's freshman class. Maybe someone with a domineering parent who's willing to do anything for their kid's future. Gentle, long-fingered hands slipped under his arms and ran over his chest. John felt the heat of Kate's body pressing against his back, and she leaned in and kissed him on the cheek. I love the way you're getting into the whole detective thing. You've got a creative imagination. That's super helpful for stuff like this. John smiled wryly over his shoulder at her. Thank you, but I sense a butt coming. You mean like this one? Kate said, and reached down to grab a handful of his right ass cheek. John hadn't been expecting it, and he jumped. Kate giggled. John gave her a mock stern look. Puns are beneath you, dear. Kate leaned in again and nibbled on his ear. That's not all I want beneath me, she purred. The sound of it made John's cock throb. He turned around, leaned back against the island, and pulled Kate into a fierce, hungry kiss. She returned it for a few seconds with equal ardor, then stepped back and took both his hands in hers. It's damned sexy, watching you think. But we need more information. Right now we don't even know if Chase has been cursed. John nodded once in acquiescence. Fair. I guess we'll have to see what turns up at the game tomorrow. She cocked her head and grinned at him. You're really getting into this, aren't you? John shrugged. I like watching you work. Competence is a turn-on for me. And it's nice to help you out with a case that isn't a matter of life and death. The back door opened, and Miko loped into the kitchen, Lisa trailing behind. The big dog came up to Kate, pressed his head under her hand, then leaned into her as she scratched behind his ears. Cautiously, John reached out and stroked his back, 
just in front of the huge, fluffy plume of a tail. Miko did not seem displeased by this, and after a few seconds, John started massaging the dog's haunches around the hip joints. His childhood dog, Gundy, had been nearly as large as Miko, and he had always appreciated a good hip rub. Miko arched his head back and looked at John out of one eye. Judging from the half-lidded look of contentment he saw there, John suspected that Miko was enjoying it too. "'You made a friend,' Lisa said, grinning at them as she took off her boots and jacket. "'Most people are intimidated the first time they meet Miko.' "'Oh, who could be afraid of this sweet face?' Kate said, reaching down and grabbing the fur of Miko's ruff in both hands. "'People with a sense of self-preservation.' John said, idly. It's a useful concept. You should look into it. Kate swatted at his arm again, but the blow fell short due to the considerable length of dog standing between them. Miko grunted and pushed his head into her solar plexus, and Kate went back to petting him. Sam came in behind his wife, set the deadbolt on the back door, then pressed a few buttons on a control panel recessed into the wall. Alarm set he said. John, if you need to go out again tonight, let one of us know. Katie, hun, do you still... 46728, Kate said, before he could finish. Right, right. Eidetic memory, of course, Sam said. While they spoke, Lisa went silently into the dining room and drew the heavy curtains shut. Sam noticed, and, by unspoken agreement, did the same thing in the kitchen. Well then, he said, turning back to Kate and John. We've still got an hour or so before us old people turn in. Who's up for a game? And that's the end of Chapter 6. Come back next time, when John and Kate finally get some time alone together, which doesn't quite go as planned. Vicky Grove said, Writers are archaeologists of themselves. So, let's go beneath the surface and see what I've unearthed this week. Here's your weekly writing report. This update covers the week of May 23rd to 29th. I wrote 4,529 words this week, over the course of 7 hours, for an average writing speed of 647 words per hour. As of Friday night, I've gone 42 days without breaking my chain. This week I had a big breakout moment in Honor Bound. I was trying to figure out exactly how I was going to introduce my protagonists to each other, the so-called meet-cute. I knew it had to have a spark of serious attraction between them, but I also knew it had to be awkward and messy and introduce new complications into both of their lives. I had some vague ideas before now of how I wanted to do this, and I had seeded some plot hooks into the earlier chapters that I thought would be useful for it, but this week was when it all came together. In one moment of insight, I finally saw how all the pieces I had been placing would work together to create Honor and Natasha's fateful first encounter. As a result, I wrote a whopping 2,440 words in a single day. That's my highest one-day total since June 8th, 2019, when I had just started writing The Dark Lord Steve. I'm excited for where this story is going, and I hope this will be the start of a trend toward higher daily word counts. But we'll just have to wait and see. 
The manuscript is now over 15,000 words. Over on the Patreon feed, there's an important new announcement about how the service is handling taxes. If you're a patron of my show, I encourage you to go over to patreon.com slash author Chris Lester and check it out. I've been working with Patreon to keep your tax liability as low as possible, but starting in July, roughly half of you will start to see a bit extra being taken out for sales tax. More details are available at the site. If you're a patron at the $3 level or higher, you'll get exclusive early access to Honor Bound as I'm writing it. Right now I'm posting about one chapter a week. If you're intrigued by the little tidbits I've been dropping in my weekly writing report, come on over and check it out. You'll be helping me keep this show running, and you'll get the story before anyone else. I hope to see you there, and if you're already a patron, thank you so much for your support. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2019 and 2020 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvette Press. The show is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.